Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water... It starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello there, Dan. Hello, Bernie. We're back. Bet some, some listeners were waiting for Rome, but that will come later in the sixth tense. It will. Because while Rome has a long way to go before they become really powerful, the Greeks are getting into their high time. Yeah, they're spreading all over the place. They're moving all, they're colonizing like crazy still going to be eventually become a greek and roman world and the west anyway yes and there will be a, a somewhat important guy named alexander yes yes he'll go and mess up the east so <laughs> so back in greece on the 610s the last episode we met draco draco from the draconian laws so just remember remember to him we're, we'll be coming into democracy soon but not yet it's pretty badass uh, to be remembered as a, a synonym for terrible. I know, or draconian, it's because you're like yes. Mayapolsky, and that's my, uh, that was a Mayapolsky in <laughs> uh, Very Horning-like. <laughs> so Draco, not the nicest guy. No, he, remember he would have you, sat, he would, uh, punishment for stealing a cabbage was death. <laughs> that's reasonable. Yeah, hey, you know, cabbages are hard to come by, I guess, in ancient Greece. I don't even know they grew cabbages there. Maybe that's why you have to die if you steal yeah. one. Yeah, if you could steal like an olive, it's all right. But cabbage, no way. Off with their head. This is um, 
This is a tricky one here. I, I know Maddie talked about him a little in the 630s, but it's, it's Alietes, and he becomes the king of Lydia um, in 619, but it may have been the 630s. It's really tricky. And he's uh, Alietes II, but there's really no Alietes I that I could find. So maybe he was the one in the 630s. It was funny, when I was doing the search, the only other thing of Alietes is the name of a cryptocurrency. Oh, no. Yeah, well, the Lydians were into, you know, they were the ones who started with money and stuff, so he was definitely had some coins and stuff. But here's something we, interesting. We are not far from the invention of coinage, right? But it's there is no coin yet. I don't know. I thought we had coins, and we have one of the other Lydians, Phrygians made some coins. Isn't that uh, in the 550s? Uh, I feel like we talked about it. We It might have no, been like... yeah, 650. Yeah, there, there were some coins in Lydia. Sorry. Yeah, that's what I thought. But I thought this was kind of interesting. I, I, you know what I've been... Wait, wait, the, the source for that is Herodotus. <laughs> Herodotus isn't so bad. I've been re- I was going to say, I've been reading Herodotus. I've actually been listening to it on YouTube, like, um, you know, somebody reads it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I mean, a lot of the stuff seems makes sense. And he even says, like, when he's if it's a lie, he'll even say, I don't believe it. Like, he'll say, they say this in Egypt, but I don't believe it. Well, you know, he'll so he'll just tell the story. He probably doesn't. Uh, he probably won't miss by a hundred years. So, I think we have coinage in Lydia now. Yeah, I think so. But so Herodotus says about this guy, which is I thought was great. As um, I'll, I'll just re- I think I could read this one because there's not too many names. So it said Herodotus said Aliette's custom each year was to invade Milesian territory when the crops were ripe. Oh, let me just say so. Ali so Aliette's father was Sadiette's, and he was already fighting. Um, he always was raiding the Milesians. So, anyway, sorry. This is, a, cu- this is a Greek colony on the east co- on the west coast of Turkey. Correct. So these are the Ionian area. Right. So, on the, uh, tur- Turkey, these are the Ionian Greeks. Lydia's kind of in the middle. They're not, you know, they're, um, they're in the center there. Yeah. So, his custom each year was to invade Milesian territory when the crops were ripe marching in to the music of pipes, harps, and treble and tenor oboes. On arrival, he never destroyed or burned the houses of the country or pulled, off, pulled their doors off, which is, I thought that was, what, just, that was what you do when you go on a raid, pull someone's doors off? I don't know. Doors are expensive. I guess so. I was like, God damn it, some people came in and took all our doors. <laughs> uh, he left them unmolested. He would merely destroy the trees and seize the crops and then retire. The reason for this was the Milesian command of the sea, which made it useless for his army to attempt a regular siege, and he refrained from demolishing houses in order that he, that the Milesians, having somewhere to live, might continue to work the land and sow their seed, with the result that he himself would have something to plunder each time he invaded the country. He employed this strategy for 11 consecutive years, during which the Milesians suffered two serious defeats, um, one in the neighborhood of the Harvest District and the other in the Plain of Meander, according to Herodotus. I find one problem with this story. If you want the Milesians to keep growing stuff, it's probably unwise to destroy their trees because trees take a long time to regrow. I thought the same thing. I just thought that was crazy, but... It's funny, I think Herodotus went around and got all these stories, and then he put them in. And then, from what I understand, Herodotus, um, he's at one of the Olympic Games is when he presented this, his whole book, like, through over a couple series of days. So, it did need that salaciousness in it, and that interesting, you know, sort of storytelling. 
He couldn't come up there like a scholar and say, well, we're not sure if it was 100 years ago or 110. So he kind of made it interesting, too. And But there is a lot. Of, I tell you, if you like history like we do, definitely you know, see if you could listen or read Herodotus. It's amazing. Very interesting. So you're telling me there was a release party for Herodotus' books on, in yeah. the Olympics? Yeah, that's nice. what it was. <laughs> there was no books. Like, how did you write a book? You had to write one book. Right? And somebody else had to literally copy it, <laughs> like by hand. You and know? of course, there are no books yet, so there are scrolls. Scrolls. Right? So amazing. I mean, you think about it. So obviously Herodotus too. I know I got too much of a thing, but it wasn't Herodotus, like this guy who went around writing stuff. And then what would he do right at night? Just... Just imagine, the. even if I had to write a copy of the Herodotus book, it would take me a year. Just, you know what I mean? And I don't even have to do the research. <laughs> yep. So, and with, with the kind of pens that they had, so just imagine. So it was a whole team. Herodotus was a team, in my opinion. And then, but yeah, they, they presented at the, one of the Olympic Games, and it must have been quite interesting. There's a lot of salacious details in Herodotus. A lot of like, he talks a lot about the different groups that aren't Greek and other sexual things, you know, like, oh, they let their women have sex with anybody and all kind of stuff like that. All these crazy sexual stories. We'll probably ma- we'll, we will probably mention Herodotus every episode, but uh, he's born in 484, so he's actually not the person in the story uh, yet. Correct. Sorry about that. <laughs> yes, thanks for clearing that up. Back to Lydia. Back to Lydia. So his, so when he dies, he dies. His son, uh, he's succeeded by Croesus. Croesus, you know, Croesus, Croesus. He's very famous in, and um, you know, with the Persian Wars and all that stuff. Yes, I think I did this. I re, I looked up the six thirties, and I already talked about this. But Aliette's, so I won't get into it. But but Aliette's does have a very famous funeral, burial tomb. But the, the part I still, I still amazes me is it says. There remained until, Herodotus says again, there remained until my time five boundary stones on top of the tomb, and on each of these were inscribed how much each group had contributed. And calculations showed that the prostitute share of the work was the greatest. <laughs> the, the prostitutes did the most work on the tomb. <laughs> Tradesmen, artisans, and prostitutes. But the prostitutes did the most work. Uh, okay. <laughs> I just, I don't know. That's what I mean about Herodotus. He loves that kind of stuff. He loves it. So that's Lydia. Yeah, do we have some colonies? Yeah, yeah. They find a couple colonies here. And some of them some of them may have been found a little bit earlier. These All these colonies are new. And if we missed them, that's why I'm going to get them all, right? So found this colony called Anthea. And later it would be called Apol- Apollonia Pontica. Basically means um, the Ap- Apollonia and the Pontic. So... It was founded sometime in our time here, like right around now. These guys were from Miletus and Phocacia. It was um, it later to become one of the largest and richest colonies on the Black Sea. Originally, it was called Anthea, but it was soon renamed to Apollonia on account of a temple that was dedicated to Apollo on the town. Various times, Apollonia was known as Apollonia Pontica, which is Apollonia on the Black Sea, or Apollonia Magna, meaning Greater Apollonia. And by, so this is in um, Bulgaria. By the first century AD, it was called Sozopolis. And it's still called something like that today. I have it written down here somewhere. Oh, you could see if you, if you could see on a map, it's in the, if you're looking at the Black Sea, it's all the way to the west, and it's in Bulgaria, a little bit north of Istanbul today. It's a very good port. 
All right. I like to think the Greeks, they always found this thing, but it reminds me of like the New World, you know, like, you know, that they say the Spanish or the Columbus found, the, found America, but it was already there and people were living there. So I'm sure there was, there was definitely people living there. Um, the first settlements on this site dates way back to the Bronze Age. There's undersea explorations that show all kind of um, uh, anchors and pottery. So the, it's a really good bay. It's a really good port. So this is why the Greek the Greeks are really good at finding these ports. I would imagine a lot of the locals, you know, similar to the Americas. You know, when the English came, they would think, "Wow, this is a great port." And the, you know, the natives really didn't have the same kind of ships. So, so like when they, when they established a colony, there are a thousand year old anchors already at the bottom. That's right. There's two temples of eventually. There's two temples here to Apollo Latros, which means healer. And so one's from the late archaic period and then one from the early classical period. They found um, some, they do, there's some, um, the other one thing about this place is, I won't go into it all, is that they made a huge, there was a huge uh, statue of Apollo there. It was 13 meters, which is 43 feet tall. Wow. Yeah. It was created by the sculptor Kalamis. And he was a sculptor in ancient Greek, and he was one of the best, apparently. None of his work survives, but he is known for his talent and skill in sculpting animals, especially horses. He's known to work in marble, bronze, gold, ivory, and um, famed for statue statues of horses, which Pliny says were unrivaled. And the statue of Apollo in this colony here was his most ambitious project. In 72 B.C., the Romans, under Marcus Lucilius, Lucilius, captured the city and moved the sculpture to Rome. And this, Pliny the Elder said that the statue cost 500 talents, and it was lost in the early Christian period. I bet the Visigoths destroyed it. Or the Vandals. They yeah, they they're vandalized it. Vandalized it. Typically Vandals. Yeah, typical Vandals. Um... And that's pretty, so it's, it's still, so in, um, since 1984, this city, it's called Sozopol, and it hosts the Apollonia Art Festivals every September, which um, includes theater shows, exhibitions, movies, musical and dance performances, book presentations, all kinds of cultural events. So I think we should put that on the fan history tour list. Okay, Sozopol. There's, there's, there is um, archaeology going on there right now. Like, just now, they found um, uh, t- another temple complex, an oval altar, a bee-style, a beehive-style tomb called the Tholos, and a copper foundry. Huh. This really cool tear um, caught a relief fragment was showing some Greek hoplites. I mean, it's really nice. Um, so, yeah, this is a good spot for us to go to in Bulgaria. Put on the list. They also started making coins at the end of the 6th century. Yes. And they are not very far from Lydia, so coin is spreading super slow. Yeah. it's. I think it's like even money, you know, like I know when I had my history classes in about American history, like they were switching from coins to bills to dollars, you know, and it was a big controversy. It took a long time, it took a couple of generations, so people would... Take a coin, you know, a dollar, a paper over a coin. I bet they would. I mean, the same thing I would think in, you know, a coin is. I mean, I guess it had silver and stuff in it, but it's just, it was the way, you know, it's different than a bundle of wheat. 
Why does this have value? I can't eat it. Right, exactly. But it was a pretty good idea. So there's a couple other colonies. There's this other one. There's the two colonies I found called Olbia. And both of these were probably founded a little earlier in the century, but we never really covered them. So they'd be new here. So we're just, we don't want to you know, lose track of them here. And, but Olbia seems to mean happy or rich in Greek. And there's, I found another, there's a city in Sicily today named Olbia. So Olbia was, you know, happy, happy little colony. That's, and so, that would make me suspicious. Hey, go to the happy colony. <laughs> everything is great there. You're so right. I don't know. Do you guys have in Sweden, like here in America, where we have, if you build like a new development with new houses, they have all these funny names like for the streets, you know, like, oh, yes. You know, Bright Way and all crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of them, but, you know, Whipper Will Drive and just all these silly names. One of my murder podcasts just mentioned Pleasant Will in New York. Yeah, that, that was a name that made me suspicious as well. Oh yeah, Pleasantville, New York. That's not even far from here. Oh, Brian, I, is it pleasant? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> Especially <laughs> if there was a murder there. <laughs> I think it's near Amityville, like where the Amityville horror was. So that's where like the, the possessed house and people killed it. Did you do that one in the murder podcast? Well, actually, when I think about it, it's it's uh, one of my scriptwriters' podcasts, and not mine. Oh. But the, the Amityville a, horror, that's a murder, and then the house became possessed. Yes, they've, do, they've done that too in that podcast, but I haven't done it yet. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So back to Olbia. So yeah, so there's one in Sardinia. I don't know much about it. There, I couldn't find anything about it, but apparently there was an, a colony called Olbia in Sardinia. The only thing I, about Sardinia is I want to move there someday. So, you know, I will podcast from there, and I'll be happy. But that's interesting because then we know that uh, the Carthaginians didn't have Sardinia yet. Yeah, that's true. Or maybe they just had a colony on it as well. Yeah, you know them. They're just trading colonies. But you'll see the Greeks and the, Sar- and the Phoenicians are definitely bumping up against each other around there. Yes. But this other Olbia is more, is a more of an important colony. This is in Ukraine today, and there's a big archaeological site there. And this Olbia is right near Odessa. And we know the Russians want this territory, so it must be a good spot. It is right on the Black Sea. As we're recording this, the Russia has invaded Ukraine anyway, by the way. It's, uh, Olbia is pretty close to the Romanian border. Odessa is between. Yeah, it's right, and it's, it's, it's right near Odessa. I think, too, I bet you some of these cities, like the, the coastline change, makes Odessa better, you know, than Olbia. Because why isn't there a port there now? But this... City was found in the seventh century BC, like we said, of course, because this is where we are, by colonists from Miletus. Its harbor was one of the main emporia on the Black Sea for the export of cereals, fish, and slaves to Greece, and the import of goods from um, Attic, you know, like um, Athens and such, to Scythia, and that's a big area. So this is like the you know the port to bring in stuff to the Ukraine to the Ukraine, which is like Scythia, which is the steppes, etc. Yeah. It was very highly important commercially, lasted for a thousand years. Um, the first evidence of a Greek settlement comes from this Berezin island, where pottery has been found dating from the late 7th century. So it's possible that it had been the site of an earlier native settlement, and it may even have been a peninsula rather than an island in antiquity. Um, now it's not that this town of Berezin survived until the 5th century, and then it was possibly absorbed into this whole Olbian settlement. So our friend Herodotus, in the 5th century, which is the 400s, visited um, 
uh, visited here, Herodotus did, and he provides our best description of the city and its inhabitants from antiquity. And I would ask Dan if you could read this, because there's words in here like names, and I will demolish them. (laughs) I will too. But here is Herodotus visiting the Ukraine. Yeah, (laughs) in the 400s BC. These are the tribes by the river Hypanis, westward of the Buristanis. But on the other side of the Buristanis, the tribe nearest to the sea, is the tribe of the woodlands. And north of these dwell Scythian farmers, whom the Greek dwellers on the Hypanis River, who call themselves Olbiopolitae, call Borustenaetae. <laughs> these farming Scythians inhabit the land stretching eastward, a three days journey to a river called Panticapes, and northward as far as an 11th day's voyage up the Borustenes. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you and north of these the land is uninhabited and uninhabited for a long way after which desert is the country of the man-eaters, mm. who are a nation by themselves and by no means Scythian. And beyond them is true desert, where no nation of men dwells as far as we know. Okay, who are the man-eaters? <laughs> I know, I was like, okay, I gotta find what those dudes are. I think the word is androphagi. Um, okay, people who eat people. Yeah, people who eat people. So there's a tribe of cannibals in Russia. Yeah. This is like in Belarus. <laughs> Could be, yeah. How many days? Yeah, it depends on how many. It was like 10 days north. Yeah. 11 days journey up the river. I'm not sure how long. Yeah, so yeah, I'll be up there. Belarus, Russia, that area. No, maybe close to Kiev. Yeah. Okay, we have a description from Herodotus on the Androphagi. Yeah. Should I read it? Yeah. 
the manners of the man-eaters are more savage than those of any other race. They neither observe justice nor are governed by any laws. They are nomads and their dress is Scythian. But the language they speak is peculiar to themselves. Unlike any other nation in these parts, they are cannibals. Okay, cannibals without any laws. That seems like a pretty bad society to live in. (laughs) I I tell you what, you definitely don't want to cross their path. Oh, well, if they don't have any laws, they, like, just eat each other all the time. I guess. Well, I think they probably go after their enemies. They're sort of, they remind me of, because what, um, um, it's Pliny, I think, who says it here, right? Yeah, Pliny the Elder, he says that um, they where they live, right? And an account of, of blah, 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 I can't read these names. But they were in the habit of drinking out of human skulls and placing the scalps with their hair attached upon their breasts, like so many napkins. Now that's creepy. Yes, uh, okay, I see why the Scythians are moving south. <laughs> Scythians, you think they're tough, these dudes. Maybe that's why they were so like crazy. Like, listen, there's these Scythians down there. They will murder you. They'll bury you. They're really tough. So we got to show them we're even crazier, I guess. Yeah, we'll just eat them. <laughs> yeah, we'll just we'll eat them. We'll walk around with them. It reminds me of the guy from the Game of Thrones who had the bones. Remember, he was a bone guy. He had all the bones on his neck. A lot of bones. Yeah, the Lord of Bones. Well, this, these guys would have, like, hair on them. You know, like people's heads, like their hair. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you have to cross a desert to get to them, so... Brutal. <laughs> Seriously, just leave them go. They shouldn't get too many visitors. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would think not. So Herodotus spends a lot of time, talks about the Scythians, obviously, I guess, because he was there. And there's this guy, you got looking up, his name is... um. M.L. West, I think it was Martin L. West. He recently died as a scholar. And he speculated that early Greek religion, especially the Orphic Mysteries, was heavily influenced by Central Asian shamanistic practices. And there's a significant amount of Orphic graffiti unearthed in Olbia seems to testify that the colony was one major point of contact. So now, I, of course, I have to tell you a little bit about Orphism. I, went, I mean, I went down rabbit holes. I read all about it watch videos, etc. I'll try to sum it up. And I'll definitely put it in the show notes because I saved the links. So let me just do a quick. This Orpheus, because I think we'll like this. He was a Thracian bard, legendary musician, prophet in the ancient Greek religion. He's a renowned poet and according to legend, traveled with Jason and the Argonauts in search of the Golden Fleece. And he even descended into the underworld uh, to recover his lost wife. So here's what Orphism is. That's the guy. He's like the prophet. But this is all about Dionysus. Central focus is the suffering and death of the god Dionysus at the hands of the Titans. According to this myth, infant Dionysus is killed, torn apart, and gobbled by the Titans. His heart is left and is saved in Zeus's thigh. So, (laughs) right? We got Chonger after that thigh. He'll bite that. So, (laughs) in retribution... Zeus strikes the Titans with a thunderbolt, turning them to ash, and from the ashes, humanity is born. And so, humanity has a dual nature, a body inherited from the Titans, evil, right? And a divine spark or soul inherited from Dionysus. And now, like, this is the Orphic myst, so this isn't like all Greek, you know, necessarily follow this, but this is like a cult, I guess you could say, of the 
Dionysus that was the Orphic cult. But um, just a little more. So in order to achieve salvation, so this is the, you know, the philosophy, the theology. In order to receive, achieve salvation from our titanic material existence, you have to be initiated into Dionysian mysteries and undergo what they call teletete, which is a ritual purification and reliving of the suffering and death of the God. Orphics believe they would, after death, spend eternity a long time with Orpheus and other heroes. Orpheus and other heroes. The uninitiated, they believed, would be reincarnated. And maybe it's, maybe indefinitely or maybe ten times. I'm not quite clear. I've heard both. Um, and I'm not sure what happens after the ten times. Or it could be that the good people are reincarnated ten times. And it's probably bad people, Dan, like you and me, that are reincarnated indefinitely. Which is why we study history. <laughs> But this is uh, Dionysus, the god of wine, right? Correct. Dionysus, as I knew I wanted to mark, Dionysus is the god of a bunch of stuff. He's the god of the grape harvest, winemaking, orchards and fruit, vegetation, fertility, insanity, (laughs) ritual madness, religious ecstasy, festivity, and theater. But he was killed as an infant. In the Orphic Mysteries, there could be other ones. There could be maybe like a more standard one, you know? But in the Orphic Mysteries, he was killed by the Titans. But he's definitely the god of wine. And there's other, there's like the Ulyssian Mysteries too, the Ulysian Mysteries. And that's also involving Dionysus. But it's funny because he's such like a Christ-like character, isn't he? He's like died, he brings, brings back from the dead. He need him for your salvation, right? The cult of Dionysus takes uh, very strange forms in Rome later. And yeah. it's actually banned by the Romans. And they are extremely tolerant of religions. Because they're crazy, I think. I think they went nuts, had like orgies and get drunk and go out of their minds. It's the, it's the raging gang rapes of hordes of women attacking lone men <laughs> that yeah. make the Romans ban the, this cult. Yeah, I would think that's a... Um good call to ban i would, I would say um, that it wasn't meant to be that in the beginning when when we when or back here where we're talking it definitely got as far crazy. as i know the romans only banned three religious cults the christians from time to time the druids because they were a focus of resistance and dionysus wow well that's a good good company i guess yes and dionysus is very christian christ-like very Christ-like. It's just, it's interesting how, like, you know, they... Except much more wine. So, yeah. drunk, drunk Jesus. Exactly. But there's wine, you know, and the Christian, there's the wine is part of the, you know, you have to drink. I mean, I'm Catholic. I was raised Catholic, so we do a lot of that. You drink the wine. It's big symbolism in Christianity. Same thing with, with, with this. Very, very interesting. I, I imagine there is more wine in Dionysus' cult. Oh, yeah, way more wine. I mean, not like, you know... <laughs> uh, you know the priests when i was a young they would drink their wine but not as part of the rituals you know they just drank it but I, there's a really cool um it's called the dervini papyrus that they find a lot of this information about this religion on and it was it's later they find it I mean, like in the 400s the 300s but it is the oldest surviving greek papyrus um that there is, and it's got these Orphic poems on it, and they found it in this in Macedonia in a burial, in an urn, um, with you know ashes, 
And the, the urn is amazing. It's beautiful. It's like a copper gold urn. Yeah, I'm look, looking at it right now. It looks fantastic. It is. Yeah, the Daverni papyrus. I'll put that up on there, too. It is amazing. Oh, the last thing I would say about this is, because um, he is this, in, in the Dionysus in Rome was called Bacchus. And Caravaggio, the Renaissance painter, he made an amazing painting of him. It's really cool. I actually might look for a print of that hanging in my house. It's really good. And if you want to know more about Car- Caravaggio, my friend Danelli Bellelli, he did a really good podcast on him. And he's writing a book on him, I believe, too. Oh, wow. I think it's a fiction. That's the colonies that we have right now in Greece. We still have some more to talk about in Greece. Sport. Sports. I do not forget the sports. And this, and the, so in 616 BC, which is the 41st Olympics, boys boxing is introduced. I actually just went to some boxing matches this weekend. There was the golden gloves they caused, like the, the amateur boxing young guys. Okay. Little kids, 12, 13, like 10, 9, 10 years old boxing. You got to see the little guys going at it. <laughs> Isn't that dangerous? You know, it's a little weird seeing the little kids do it. They, they you know, they, the rounds are like a minute. They have headgear on. I'll tell you, though, some of those kids are tough. Wow. Not like, but so, okay, so we're, I'm watching as a modern person, you know, they got boxing gloves on and headgear and everything, cups, you know, these guys, they were bare knuckling it. <laughs> you know, 12 year old kids. And, you know, today we, we have weight classes, but they, they're, and like I've mentioned before, they were just, they weren't weight classes in the ancient, these ancient sports, but there was, uh, they started having the categories with boys and men. So they, we think that the minimum age is estimated, you know, about 12. And by that time, the boys could have had a lot of years of athletic education. I mean, the Greeks are way into their, you know, sports. I think we should do an episode sometime just on the Olympics because it is amazing to think about it. Absolutely. They really are. I mean, they're just like we are, like how we're into sports. And, you know, I mean, it was a big deal. And here, here once again, we can see that the Greeks are different mm-hmm. because we don't see the Assyrians uh, nope. writing monuments about who won the race. Nope. Or maybe they did for lion hunts, but <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Greeks are obviously different from all other cultures in so many ways. So, for sure. Only thing I found with sports, now that I'm just starting to do some research on it, we might be able to get to the Americas in this period. I'd I like to do an episode on that. Is that In Mesoamerica, there was a lot of games. Not, they played ball games, though. But I don't want to get into all that, but yeah, not like this Greek sports. But. So, anyway, yeah, in, in um, 616 is when they, invent, when they introduce boys boxing. Like I said, it's... Uh, 12 years old is the is the thing but distinguishing the age categories was problematic there's no birth certificates nobody had a driver's license you know so the age had to be determined by other criteria such as uh size and beard development okay so you make a judgment based on uh, this looks like a boy not too young not too old okay you're yeah. good what was the upper limit for a boy oh oh so like teenage like 18 yeah so men's would be eight men would be 18 okay and probably of your beard, I would think. So, how does a twelve-year-old box with a seventeen-year-old? Seriously, I mean, I agree. I'm with you on that one. I mean, really, it's just like I don't know. When I was a kid, I used to play. I played like football when I was little. I mean, I would think I was in fifth grade, and some of those kids were in seventh because they were like held back. They would kill us. They would kill us. <laughs> we were fully well, of padded. course. 
<laughs> I could not imagine like having one of those kids just come and swinging at me. I mean, they swung at you, but you had your helmet on and stuff. So, anyway, we do have a victor. We know who won, and uh, his name was uh, Philotus. He won the boys' boxing that year. Good job, Philotus. Good job, Philotus. And he is from Siberus. And I think that's one of the only ones I've seen in Siberus. And that's why I was like, where's Siberus? So that was um, in Magna Grecia in Italy. It was on the Gulf of Taranto in southern Italy. And I also this. Did you know that there's still people speak Greek in southern Italy today? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I think I posted on the Facebook page. I saw a story. They were having a celebration, like a you know festival. There's still some villages, and I think they call it a different language, like Greca or something like that. But yeah, they speak a, a dialect of Greek in southern Italy to this day. Wow, so Philotas went all the way from Italy to punch people in the face, or punch boys in the face, yeah. and did it. Yeah, he probably was 17. Probably. You know, we don't have any records of him winning the 612, the men's, men's boxing. So, <laughs> you know. So who else wins? So in 616, we have a winner of the stadium. His name is Cleonidas. Cleonidas. And he's from Thebes and appears to be the only Thebian runner to win at the Olympic Games. I bet the Spartans hated him. They probably did. He's the only one. To, so, uh, yeah, because the Spartans won again in 612. Lycotus, he won in 612. The Spartans uh, also won wrestling in 616. Hypothenes. And uh, he, that Hypothenes, he also won. He's from Sparta. He also won in 612 in wrestling. He stayed in shape for four years. Totally. That would be tough, man, win those wrestling tournaments like that and train all those years yeah we should totally do a story there's a really good book i was half through it's called um the naked olympics really good yeah but let's let's do that Uh, let's do an episode on the olympics in the six o's because we don't have an assyrian empire to talk about uh, that much in the next yeah let's definitely do that i'll finish that book we could do it on that sounds like fun totally and that's all i got for greece Okay, so uh, now we're going to talk about the people that the Greeks will conquer in a way much later. The Romans. That's for next episode. Okay, let's do it. I'll, I'll get ready for that one, and I will talk to you again soon, Dan. Uh, please subscribe to our Facebook and to our Patreon and to our YouTube channel. Uh, I hope I will be going to the British Museum this year again. You will? Yes. When? Uh, I'm not sure yet. Uh, there is uh, difficulty getting a passport because uh, during the pandemic, nobody got a new passport. So there's like six months queues for getting oh. passports right now. How long does your passport last? Five years. The European oh, ours are Union, 10. Uh, passports. I gotcha. We used to have 10 years for passports, but it changed because of orders from uh, Brussels. Ah, yeah, ours are 10 still. Yeah, five years is a mess because you have to change it all the time. Luckily, it's uh, pretty close to where I live, where the main police headquarters is, and the police handles passports for some reason. It's interesting. Yeah, we do the post office. Maybe we'll do a podcast on Sweden versus America someday. All the different stuff. <laughs> That's a whole <laughs> podcast. That's not an For episode. Sure. 
cultural differences. As I'm as we're sitting here retor- re- recording, somebody sent a message to me on Facebook. So maybe there's um, and we're only recording, so they couldn't have heard what I said. Well, what was the message? You know what? I think I get a weird message. I think I have a, we have a stalker. He just sends. <laughs> I get like weird things from somebody's site, and I don't know what it is. Here, let's see what it says. Ah, oh, just went away. Well, anyway, it's probably silly. I'll take them all. I'll take the silly messages and the real and the good ones. We love all the messages. Send them to us. Uh, we actually have an email address now. You maybe you didn't know that, Bernie. No, I didn't. Oh, because uh, we re- I removed uh, a couple of podcasts from Facebook. We got an. Email address for all my podcasts, and that includes Fan of History. Ooh, so you, can, you can send a message to my assistant, Eva, who also does the editing for the audio of this episode. So thank you, Eva. Thank you, Eva. Uh, at simwaypodcast at gmail.com. It's simway with uh, said uh, simwaypodcast at gmail.com. I'll put that in the show notes if I remember. All right, I will too. So that's an S, like Sam, right? Oh, uh, said Sita uh, Z L Z Z like zebra. Uh, okay, yes. Zimway. Okay, gotcha. Zimway podcast at Gmail. Yes, and she will forward the the, the emails to me and to Bernie if it's for fan of history. Perfect. You could write them in English or sp- Swedish. Yes, or some other language, but we probably can't read them then. <laughs> I'll just have to translate it with Google Translate, and you'll have to hope it's Oh, we good. can write in Chinese, and then we'll get uh, Jack to translate. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you at the next episode. We're talking about, I believe, Rome, right? Yes, Rome. Do it. Cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon patreon.com slash fan of history just a dollar an episode would help us out thanks and see you next time hello this is danny pellegrino host of the everything iconic podcast and i'm here to tell you all about splash refresher because hydration is mandatory but boring is not now i love my water but if i don't spice it up i'm not going to finish what i took out of the fridge that's why i love my splash refresher which is flavorful delicious bright hydrating and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.